I'm here with Bruce Crawford and Susan Flam of the Grolier Club in New York. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Who was Grolier? <laughs> the most important question. <laughs> and why Grolier? A, a great collector and advocate of printed books and other materials. Uh, a great emblem of our history. He's French from he, 1489 yeah. or 90 to 1565. Yeah, he was a Renaissance man. Okay. He was a finance minister mm -hmm. and he was a book collector. And for us, what's so important about him is that he signed his books on, usually on the cover, saying, In Amicorum? Yes. Which basically means for my friends and he he would give his books to friends mm. and that that is the idea of the grow your club that we would always welcome people to the world of books well that's lovely i didn't know that it's funny you should mention that because people ask me well wh why did you get involved with books why are they so important to you and the only thing i can come up with is that my father had a a library and whenever they had friends coming over this was when I was about two years old apparently I used to just go to the shelves take out books and put them on the laps of, uh, That's nice. of, of people that were visiting <laughs> well I guess that when our members look at books they really don't they don't see uh, spines and covers but they really see our vessels that contain our history mm. and vessels of ideas and those ideas they 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 connect fiction and nonfiction and science and art mm -hmm. to our past and our present mm -hmm. and our future mm -hmm. and that's really a lovely aspect of the physical object mm -hmm. and we have a membership and a public a visiting public who I am delighted to say strongly believe those things and they that's why they come do mm -hmm. our exhibitions and use our library. It, w it was established, the Grolier Club was established as the Society for Bibliophiles and Enthusiasts in 1884. Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. By, among others, Robert Ho. Can, mm -hmm. I get, can we get a bit of uh, detail on him? He was a great collector of English literature, wasn't shy about buying books either singly or in lots. Okay. Uh, was very aggressive about his purchases uh, and he was very attentive to not only a breadth of collecting by subject and author but also he was attentive to condition so oh, yeah. he was he was um, very suitable to gathering together people who were his friends at the time and putting the club together to forming it mm -hmm. in 1884. And wasn't he a printer? Yes, he was. He was a printer, yeah. and isn't there something called the Ho Press, a, a physical press? Well, what I know about is an organization that he and his friends formed uh, called the Club Bindery. Mm. Oh, that's And right. uh, this was <clears throat> put together in the late 1800s. It's an interesting part of our history because uh, the early founders of the club wanted fine bookbinding to be represented at a level that was comparable to the finest French binders of the time. So they formed an organization called the Club Bindery and they brought, actually brought over 
designers and makers of fine bindings from France along with their tools and set up a club hmm. bindery to uh, bind books uh, for themselves and for other members of the Grolier Club. So there really is a, a French connection, isn't there? Here? There, is oh, there, French there has been a French yeah. connection, starting mm. with Jean Grolier, of course. Yeah. I also think there was some concern about the quality of bookmaking at the time. I, I think I, I read something along those lines, that the, the members of the club early on wanted to improve the, the quality of bookmaking in You're America. You're exactly right. And, for example, a printer like Divini, who figures mm -hmm. prominently mm -hmm. in, in our early uh, history, was one of the proponents of that. And he uh, was an active member of the club. He printed books for the club and other institutions. One of our uh, council members, in fact, did a lovely uh, biography of him not too many years ago. And an exhibition. And an exhibition. And we even went down to see the building where he did his printing. And that was quite fascinating because the mm. building still exists and you can imagine the printing presses on that ground floor. Did you ever go on that trip? No, I You weren't in one. New York, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, and so again, 1884, uh, that's just prior to, to William Morris hitting the scene, and I know Morris's influence uh, on American publishers was significant, mm -hmm. and I, I was Indeed. particularly interested in the literary presses like Stone and Kimball, Kelmscott. Uh, well, Morris's Kelmscott, but over here, Stone mm. and Kimball in Chicago, yeah. and yeah. Copeland and Day, mm. and a number of other <coughs> these smaller presses that uh, uh, that brought in, if not innovation, then attention to the quality of the materials that were used and that sort of thing. Indeed. In fact, I don't know if you've seen it yet or not, but we have a uh, we have a Morris room okay. here that we can show you down mm -hmm. on the way to the library. Right. That mm -hmm. uh, obviously is named after William Morris and is decorated with William Morris fabrics. Oh, lovely! Mm -hmm. So the club itself is a fellowship of men and women devoted to books and the graphic arts. Mm -hmm. So right. be, it goes beyond just books. <coughs> Indeed it does. Mm -hmm. right. Paper and printing, including bookmarks? Yes, we just admitted a new member to the club. It's one of my favorite examples of someone who has an astounding collection of bookmarks. Why not? And, uh, exactly. It's interesting how the collecting world is, is and, and the world of books in general is changing uh, delightfully around us mm -hmm. on a continuing basis. and. One of the things that, that uh, we enjoy is the breadth of, and the, the diversity of subjects that new members of the club are interested in. Yeah. And a lot of those areas cover uh, ephemeral material, I was, yeah. broad I was just, sides, yes, and I was just about to mention particularly the ephemera. A lot of uh, antiquarian book dealers mm -hmm. that I'm talking to these days they see a shift toward the you know, collecting of manuscripts. Uh, ah, that's not ephemera, though. Manuscripts are very important. N no, and archives. But, right. But the, there is a shift toward, uh, toward this among collectors mm -hmm. because they're going after unique exactly. items, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to books that, you know, mm -hmm. had limited... limited uh, mm -hmm. 
um, print runs. You know, it's remarkable because people collect in every, almost every conceivable area. And many of these areas are, are quite closely defined. They're specific. Mm-hmm. They often deal with ephemeral materials. And one of the things that's important to us here is that we continue to exhibit and do research on early printed books, early manuscripts, incunabula. We'll always do that. But it's also important that we do research into and exhibit across all, all areas of collecting. And the one thing that we never compromise is our scholarship and yeah. our intellectual rigor. Yeah, in fact, uh, one of your objectives is to foster uh, the study of books and works on paper. So how do you do that? Well, in celebration of books and the book arts uh, and the exercise of that rigor toward that end, uh, we have nine exhibitions per year all of which are free and open to the public. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's not always the case for exhibitions in New York. Yeah. So we're quite proud of that. Uh, we have a research library that has well over 100,000 volumes. That, uh, and so that's open to scholars that might want to use yes, it? Yes, there's no charge. All you have right. to do is reach out to us and say, I'm interested in this aspect of uh, books or the history of books or the history of printing. Yeah. So the library is open for scholars to come and, and use it. And I assume you're building that library yes, on an ongoing basis? Through purchase and gifts. And we have a publications program, which is another supporting uh, arm of what we do. We currently have, I think, 18 books in our publications queue. And we release, we release somewhere between, or publish, somewhere between three and five or six books per year, the majority of which are associated with our exhibitions in, mm-hmm. in one way or another. And these exhibitions are put together by primarily by members or? Well, that's a no. good question. Yeah. Uh, the answer is, is it is members on our second floor. We have what we call a members exhibition space and that allows individual members to propose shows, exhibit uh, wonderful things from their libraries. We have an ABC book exhibition there right now, so there are five of those exhibitions per year. Okay. On the first floor, the exhibitions that happen there can be usually larger in number and incorporates a bigger space, but there we also uh, invite proposals from uh, many of our partners around the world university libraries. How do you mean partners? Well, I think about people and institutions who are passionate about books as our partners in the world of bibliophilia, which is the love of books. And you're always stronger together than you are apart. So uh, we're delighted when we have uh, institutional lenders and individual lenders who may not be members, who make proposals Mm -hmm to mount shows downstairs in our new exhibition space. Okay. And we do have members who uh, put in shows there as well. We have one upcoming, which will be, uh, I believe it's just been approved, on the subject of uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, so the dance... lovely topic. Yeah, the downstairs shows really have to have a greater cultural significance sure. than just the member exhibitions. So the member exhibitions do have to have a viewpoint or right, a theme. Okay. Uh, just to follow up with what you were saying, we have 
just trying to think of what it what it is called the Health and Scholars. Yes, the Health and Fellowship Program. That's right. So each year, somebody we have uh, one or two fellowships that we uh, give to people who want to come and use material in our library for a scholarly purpose. To what you give them money to come here and yes, we uh, give them accommodation money. and travel and that sort we of thing. We give them a grant. Yes, okay. to come. Okay. And then another educational outreach is um, the colleges and universities have book prizes, and the winner of the whole consortium comes here and can, has the use of the library. And what those young people then they get a year's free membership, uh-huh. and then they up to become a member which is really nice, and it's one way of attracting younger members. Yeah, let's get into membership. What's, in, what's in involved with that? Well, we have, uh, if you don't mind the statistic, we have about 825 members now. Okay. We're growing. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're also growing in diversity, specifically with regard to younger members, which we're very proud of. Yeah, because really, over the years, it's been a male-dominated bastion. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a case in our deep history. We admitted women in 1976, and we're we're extremely well represented uh, by women in the collecting world and the bookmaking world in our membership. Mm -hmm. Good. Mm -hmm. So this is just a myth that you're busting here. That's right. We've even had a woman president. Carolyn Smith, who's a great mm-hmm. hero of mine. <laughs> okay, okay. But it, it, it is true, though, that, that for whatever reason, uh, book collecting is, has been a, a, a male-dominated field. That's changing. And I know there are bookstores now that are popping up that are featuring important works by women only. There's a, a couple of them that are that really hit the radar lately. Right. But well, it certainly is not the case today that okay. it's, a, it's a male-dominated industry. Absolutely. Right. And I think the, the, the evidence for that is clearly seen if you go to book fairs of all kinds. Mm. If you go to the Park mm. Avenue Armory, yeah. if you go to the Brooklyn Book Fair, uh, you see in those venues and all others, all demographics widely represented. And, mm-hmm. th- you know, that's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it, it brings up all sorts of interesting new uh, ideas about uh, what to collect. Thankfully. Yeah, yeah. And coming up is a show called Women's Work. And it was organized by Duke University because... Lisa Baskin gave her collection to Duke, 11,000 items. We will only show about 150, I think it is. Uh, But they're extraordinary. And it ranges from the 14th century up until, I think the cutoff in the show is the suffragettes movement, primarily in America, but, but she does have European material. So uh, you, uh, you clearly foster study. Collecting, we touched on a bit, but maybe you could uh, expand on that. How do you foster collecting? Well, I think through our exhibitions program, mm-hmm. 
Mm. People get to enjoy directly the passion that collectors experience and the passion that they have for sharing their materials with others. And that's a very important aspect of collecting. I think, you know, one, one aspect is putting scholarship into a chosen area of interest. We're all passionate about that. But the other piece of it is sharing that knowledge and that inspiration with others, whether those be members or they be uh, part of our, of our public uh, or uh, people who are associated, again, with whom I think of as, as partners. And that's a really broad reach and, that, and that's a wonderful thing. And that's a really important function of, to me anyway, of collecting. And then there are lectures and there are small dinners where uh, a curator or uh, uh, somebody who's uh, done an exhibition will, will talk. And, and that, that's a more intimate experience. And those talks are just wonderful. I always remember Susan Tain's talks. Do you know Susan Tain? I know She's the name. a collector of Walt Whitman, uh, Mark Twain, and... Melville. Mel, oh, Melville and, and, and Ed, Edgar Allan Poe. Wow. And Emerson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and wow. she's given various talks. They're always fascinating. How mm. she's found a, found a book, how she's identified <clears throat> a manuscript. Then there are curators from the Met who've come to talk. And, uh, yes. And speaking of uh, Susan and her sharing and her passion, four books and works on paper. Just a few days ago, she gave a keynote address at the Library of Congress oh. to the winners and their family and guests of the National Book Collecting Prize okay. that was oh, held at, at the Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. And she gave a delightful talk, yeah. very inspirational. What I like mm -hmm. to do is to, whenever I'm, I'm talking to a book lover, uh, I always try to get an idea of what they might collect mm -hmm. and get advice from them too as to in their field what's the good stuff to go after on a limited budget. I try that on with <laughs> with pretty well everyone I talk to mm -hmm. just because it, just because it's uh, it's it's fun and it's mm. as you say it's sort of whenever I can sort of push that passion button it really enlivens the conversation. Right, right. So, Well, if I could comment on that, I, th I think that uh, an important trail to go down is to collect those things that you really love. For and, sure. And, and that appeal to you. And, I, mm -hmm. and for me, anyway, that's the number one rule. And for you, what is that? <laughs> that. <laughs> that. Thank you for asking. Yeah. That is uh, English literature in okay. first and early edition and manuscript where I can find it. Uh, and I, I must say I'm the victim of one thing having led to another. <laughs> uh, because one of the things that... that uh, I like very much is understanding the lives and the passions and the personal and business relationships of authors of English literature. How so you, you love the, the biographies too? You absolutely. Must. Yeah. And the history of the time and that's where the, the uh, not the trap, but the opportunity of one thing leading <laughs> to another well, actually materializes. Uh, yeah, I was going to say though that the, you know, the first edition of uh, John Donne is, is it's going to be a pretty big nut, uh, but if you what if you discover the 
friends or uh, mm -hmm. publishers or people that are connected somehow, exactly. Exactly. they're not going to cost you as much. Right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of that uh, serendipitous or practice discovery that you mm -hmm. just referred to. Mm -hmm. uh, you're exactly right. I mean, that that is right on the mark in terms of, I think, what uh, most, all of us really enjoy about the uh, art and the science of, of collecting and sharing our materials. And one of the things I think that you find about the club uh, and, and about its members is they all have their own areas of interest, but they're equally as interested in what other people are studying and collecting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sharing. So this, this forms an environment, is an environment where you can come and, and share those passions mm -hmm. with like-minded people. And you can learn. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I have a favorite story that Susan has mm. heard uh, many times before, <laughs> okay. so I apologize to her in advance, mm. but <clears throat> I started collecting rare books when I was nine, and that was when Moby Dick was a minnow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, when, that I never heard, Bruce. <laughs> when I was uh, 46, I was lucky enough to be invited to join the club as a member, and I became a member in uh, 2000. And been collecting all of my life and when I came here I thought I knew a lot about books and it took me about three months to figure out how wrong I was. <laughs> That's a, a sign of intelligence. <laughs> it is. I, I, was, I was delighted at the opportunity that I had because mm. everyone that I met knew more about their area much more than I did mm. and it was just this wonderful opportunity to learn about all aspects of the book world. Well, that's another thing too, isn't it? The, the better informed you become about an area, the more you know about books that other people don't realize are important. Even yes. even book dealers, you know, they may they may have a, a certain collection, but they may not realize that oh, this this person was a mentor to an author. Of, well, I think that I think I think that's where we have many dealers who are members. Yeah, many many, many members who uh, participate in the in the auction world in one manner or another, and that's one of the things that that makes us as strong as we are because the opportunity not only to get to know uh, other collectors but other dealers, mm. uh, people who are representatives of the auction world. We, have, we also have scholars, academics, book designers and makers, illustrators. Like Jerry Kelly who we just... Absolutely. Yeah. We have in our community people who come to the world of books from all sides. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, that, and that's part of that learning experience. Mm. And it includes dealers, it includes collectors, just mm. all aspects of history. Yeah. academics mm -hmm. and, and uh, commerce. Hmm. I, I don't want to leave your collection just yet. Can you tell me, can you give me a, a little mm -hmm. thumbnail on exactly what it is you've got and what you're after these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, <coughs> my wife Mary and I are both collectors of English literature. She is right. a member but of any the club as well. A particular period? or The earliest would be uh, John Milton uh, and the Carolyn Playwrights. And I'm interested in the history of the English novel, which to some degree was set and defined by 18th century writers like Fielding, Goldsmith, mm. Defoe, I guess. Defoe, mm. Smollett. Uh, and then a larger portion of our collections by number are concentrated in uh, 
fiction writers of fiction in the 19th century okay. uh, and also the early 20th so some of these writers we have representative collections in other words collections of first editions of printed works that are fun to read yeah and then there are other collections that go to more depth like for example I'll give you two examples the first one is Charles Dickens and the theater okay. uh, this is a really uh, interesting subject to me because a lot of people think about Charles Dickens as a writer of novels but he wanted to be an actor well he did in a way with his speech his, his talking tours to right his yeah. readings yes and, and this is the best example of that but he also wrote plays when he was a young man and when he was writing his first novel Pickwick Papers and he performed on stage he had an acting group of his friends and family that traveled around England giving performances and benefit performances in areas in and outside of London and he also had a home theater uh, in one of his houses mm. where he would invite friends mm. and groups to come mm. and his kids for example would perform in some of these plays mm. and a big industry of course grew up around him yeah. Uh, through dramatizations of some of its works, many of his works, some of which were sanctioned by him and others that weren't. The second example, and I'll, I'll be but, brief. But, but sorry, for example, ahead. with Dickens, uh, what, what would you do there? You'd go after playbills? Absolutely. You bet. What else did you, would you look, uh, look at? Early printings of some of his plays yeah. and pl printings of the adaptations. Okay. Uh, I'll, give you an, I'll give you an example. Bransby Williams was a pretty well-known actor from the late 1800s and early 1900s. And he was a performer uh, in many of uh, Dickens's later adaptations after Dickens died in 1870. But one of the things we were lucky enough to find was uh, a sample band or a, a group of, of printed material that he owned, uh, two volumes that belonged to him, that he owned, that's filled with newspaper clippings and mm. magazine articles about mm. all of these adaptations right. of Dickens. That's fabulous. So that's a really yeah. fun, that's a really yeah. fun item. Where did you find that? Uh, I believe I found it from a small dealer who was located in the UK, but it's been some years ago, I can't remember okay. exactly. But. And then you have a room with all those posters from right. the different right. um, films and right, yeah. Now right. you consistent, yeah. That that's yeah. you know obviously there's there's the, the novel itself, mm -hmm. but then there's all sorts of other offshoots mm -hmm. from that. Sure, and the graphic representations of that. You bet, you bet. Right, and uh, some of the playbills that you mentioned, they're they're interesting typographically, mm -hmm. uh, and they're they're advertising. Well, that's they're it. They're designed to get attention, aren't mm -hmm. they? Right, absolutely. So, yeah. And, you know, they were pasted up on poles, walls, mm -hmm. uh, advertising performances, and the ones that you find yeah. are the ones that were left <laughs> of the print <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, back in my bad old days, I remember that, that uh, they used to be quite easy to find. Right. But then as mm. the appeal of ephemeral material and the interest in how books were dramatized, because we're really f talking about a form of entertainment mm -hmm. that was really big in the 19th century, yeah. 
uh, how that was uh, as big as movies are today. Absolutely, yeah. I mean that's a perfect example. And this advertising, the typography that's associated mm. with with it, and the language that appears on the playbills is really exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, and it formed an integral part of how uh, large populations in England and America enjoyed live performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really fun. Mm. It's more than you ever wanted to know about Dickens. No, it isn't. Yeah. I'm very pleased to, yeah. to get that on record. Mm -hmm. And you said there was another example. There is another example, and uh, that is I'm interested in William Thackeray, the author of Vanity Fair, and also in a career that he wanted to be successful in, but worked out not to be his primary career, which was as an illustrator. Mm. <clears throat> and this goes all the way back to books that he used in school, a charterhouse school, and at Cambridge, where he didn't finish his studies, with the, that uh, have doodlings and all of the margins of drawings that he was making, presumably when he was either in or not in class. <laughs> You've got some of that? Yes, yes we do. <laughs> and he was also uh, in, a, in a small minority of authors that illustrated some of their own books. Okay. And I wish he'd been a little better of a draftsman than he worked out to be. Dickens did some, he was, didn't he do a bit of illustration? Or am I Much right? far less. So early in his career, Thackeray aspired to be an illustrator. There are thousands of examples of his drawings in institutions and private collections. <laughs> and they're, they're quite humorous, they're fun, they, de they depict imag imaginary and real characters. Uh, and in fact, uh, my, my wife Mary and I were just lucky enough to buy a, a sketchbook <clears throat> that is one of uh, Thackeray's sketchbooks that he carried with him when he traveled. And it has in it a, a drawing of Charles Dickens as Captain, uh, in the part of Captain Bobadil <laughs> as an actor. So wow. it's, re it's really great. charming. Talk fun. about connecting a <laughs> yeah. couple of important areas in your, uh, in your sights. So items like that, I think, are yeah. they're fun for me, but but we have 824 other members who have exactly the same kinds of passions mm. across across all subject areas, and that's really what makes it fun. I was going to say, there's got to be a lot of energy in the room. <laughs> there's tremendous energy. There is. Thank you for asking. Thank you for telling. You bet. Every every collector when asked, loves to talk oh, about their collection. that's for sure. <laughs> and you know what? The Grolier does do <clears throat> house visits to people's collections, home visits. Oh, as a group, you uh, go and check well, them out? Uh, 20 people, maybe, yeah, yeah. because we've had a number of Grolier visits. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you, yeah. I'm glad you and, mentioned And that. that's another, I mean, it makes it so interesting to see how a collection is arranged, what, what's in it for the collector to speak, it's just a more intimate setting. It's wonderfully intimate, and and uh, Susan said it wonderfully well. It's 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 really fun to see how people live with their materials. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. like uh, our friend. Yeah, uh, right. Here. <laughs> we're, we're 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 laughing about a it's a what it's kind of a little cupboard that's got a glass door on it mm. and uh, it looks like I thought it was some kind of installation art piece but, mm. 
but it's all of these papers that look like they're being kind of torn up and strewn around, but that's exactly uh, how they looked in his house. It's Thomas Phillips, is it? Yeah. Uh, he's been called uh, the greatest or one of the greatest book collectors of all time, and he 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 wanted to collect every book that was ever published in the world. Right? He did, he did, yeah. and he couldn't stop himself. Right, as you can see, <laughs> partly through that yes. through that uh, and, and the Grolier acquired a, a good part of his, even though the collection took like a hundred years to sell. You you acquired mm. parts of it, I guess. We right. did, and oh. what you what you see in him. Yeah. The, oh, of course, we're in the Phillips room. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So a lot of the books uh, here uh, form parts of or are related to his collections. Mm. And the uh, manuscript material in the cabinet, we were lucky enough some years ago to find at auction one of the uh, last representations of his passion for manuscripts and works on paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no wonder his wife went mad or... or, or in situ here, as <laughs> we can see. Um, we, we touched on membership, and perhaps that's how we could, uh, we could wind up. Are you actively... How does it work? Do you actively pursue... Uh, a new member has to be nominated, is that's that right? right? Mm -hmm. That's right. And you are encouraging existing members to nominate new members? That's what you, you want? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes. Yes. And uh, it's not an onerous process. No. <laughs> um, we ask for a, a principal sponsor okay. of a candidate for membership right. and then three supporting letters. Okay. Uh, and those come from other members as well. Okay. And we have uh, an admissions committee that, uh, it's, it's a wonderful committee, it's, mm. it does splendid work, uh, it's very, very active. Natalie Blaney runs it. It's a full-time job for Natalie and the committee. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, so, we have many members, as, as, I, as I'm sure you picked up, who are passionate about the club and they want uh, their friends in the book world to, mm. who are equally mm -hmm. passionate mm -hmm. uh, to enjoy what we have. So that flow of mm -hmm. candidates, I'm, I'm really happy to say, is quite strong. Well, good. And okay. they're international as well as national. Because at one point it was primarily American, yeah. but that's changing. I yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, friends of ours from South Africa are now going to submit their... You have to submit a CV basically, okay. yeah. about yeah. what your collecting interests are. I mean, they can't really benefit from the lectures and such that you oh, have. Oh, yes, they can, How because they they're videoed. Oh, they're all videoed. They're videoed. They get the newsletter. I don't know whether you've seen the newsletters. No. They come out monthly. All kinds of interesting material. Then there's what the what, what, the cassette. Right. So they get yeah. quite a lot of material that the club mm -hmm. publishes, okay. and we try to hold events uh, around yes. large book fairs that happen oh, both okay. across North America and uh, internationally. So mm -hmm. we, we put together visits to libraries, to homes, uh, to other uh, institutions let's say around uh, the Boston Book Fair. We mm -hmm. have programs coming up uh, around good? the Boston Fair. We have programs that are aligned around the London Fair, the California Fair. 
Sorry, so for example, I would to go if I'm a member, I would I would go to the book fair because I'm a collector. Mm -hmm. You bet. And you would have a little itinerary for me mm -hmm. if I yes. wanted to mm -hmm. take sure. advantage of that. Mm -hmm. You could sign up. Uh, mm -hmm. These okay. include all the things that Susan mentioned. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they could include home visits. They can mm -hmm. include visits to libraries. Mm -hmm. right. We hold receptions yeah. that members mm -hmm. and friends of members and guests can attend and enjoy uh, festivity around mm -hmm. the world of books. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah, it okay. is great. So it's mobile. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we also yeah. have uh, local and international, what we call ETERs. That's a Latin word. Doesn't mean doesn't have to be mysterious. It translates r roughly into a walkabout. And these are uh, multi-day trips that we organize uh, around the world and around North America. There will be one in Canada in uh, next year. Twenty, yeah, yeah twenty twenty. Yeah, in Toronto. Okay. And we've had them in Hungary. We've had them in China. We've had them in Britain. Other locations in Europe. Greece. Wherever, where, Greece. Wherever there is a center of bibliophily to be uh, enjoyed and, and loved. And one of the best parts of those kinds of trips yeah. is that you get to see these fantastic rarities that in many cases are not on public display. Because institutions and individuals, mm -hmm. I mean, they're really proud of what they mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. So it's a perfect opportunity for them to bring out and showcase some of their mm -hmm. really, really special items. Mm. And, you know, to a really appreciative audience. To an appreciative yeah. audience, yeah. to an yeah. audience that really sincerely gets it. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and they're limited. So when you're traveling with 20 or 35 people, yeah. it's, you know, there's that interchange that's just wonderful. Wow, well, that's, that's answering my questions. Yeah, one more. Yeah. One more. In uh, Washington, D.C., and in San Francisco, mm -hmm. there are groups of members who have organized weekends, I guess they're on the weekends, yes. of uh, lectures and visiting collections. So, so that brings those members who are not based in New York mm -hmm. uh, together to uh, participate in book events. Very good. Do you think we've covered everything? Is there anything that comes to mind that... Uh, yeah. Your questions have been, have been right. uh, terrific and I'd just like to say thank you for yeah. on behalf of the club and our, and our members and the world of Bibliophily as a whole for this opportunity to, to talk with you about, about uh, such exciting opportunities and the things that we're doing. It's been great. Thank you. For me too. Thank you. I've been speaking mm. to uh, Bruce uh, Crawford who is the president of the Grolier Club and to Susan Flam, who is in charge of public relations for the club. Here at the club in New York City. Thanks again. <laughs>